Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church in two locations, reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ, and you can partner with us by sharing this link or clicking the Give link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. Till heaven came to live with me, a rescue like no other, because he's worthy. You are.
called them to live like he lived, to live like citizens of heaven while they are on earth. But our culture encourages us to take the easy route, to pursue what we want in this life and not worry about heaven. The question that we all face is, Jesus said it, will you do it? Well, good morning. Yeah, for those of you that I haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Gus Bishop, and I get the privilege to be one of the pastors here at the Vine Church. I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning as we are wrapping up this series, Your Move. We've been looking at some of the toughest teachings of Jesus and asking ourselves the question, Jesus said it, will you do it? And I've got to confess to you that I am kind of glad we're wrapping up this series because this has been a tough series. Right? It's, Jesus gives us some tough teachings. It's a tough thing to do. Maybe not so much when we're in here on Sunday morning or we're in our groups throughout the week. But listen, here's what I can tell you. When I'm out there and life begins to hit me in the face and punch me in the side of the head, it gets real hard to answer some of these questions. So I just felt the need to confess that to you this morning. I also feel like I need to confess this as well. I know you're here, not here for confessions with Gus Day, but we're here. To, I just feel like I need to share this. I have a bad habit, and it's this habit of making up words, right? It's making up words like, yeah, tell us your bad stuff. No, it's making up words. I don't mean I sit down at the computer, and I'm typing up new words and coming up with new definitions. I mean, like, I have a tendency when I'm in the middle of talking, I get really excited and start talking really fast and really passionate, kind of like I'm doing right now, that before I even know, this word just pops out of my mouth, right? It's a brand new word, right? And, and, and I even do this sometimes when I'm preaching, and so just to give you an example of that, um, I remember preaching on just the ridiculous radical pursuit of God, and, and I, I said something like, um, I, I want to love, and I want to obey, and I want to pursue God with such tenaciosity, <laughs> right? Yeah, okay, that's right. And, and in reality, I want to love, and I want to pursue, and I want to obey God with such tenacity is probably what should have been said, or should it? Um, and so what I'm here to do this morning is take a poll. Which word shows more passion? Tenacity? You can raise your hand. I had some teachers in the first service who were like, ah, that's the right one, right? Or tenaciosity, which shows more passion? Come on. That's what I'm talking about. You are my people. That is what's up. But what I've realized is this. Like, there's another word that that's, I hear a lot now. It's called the word, it's a term adulting. Adulting, right? And what that simply means is that sometimes in life, we have to do the boring things that we don't necessarily want to do but we have to do, right? Things like get up and go to work on time or, or oh yes, okay. Or do, do, your, do your dishes, like do your laundry, cook your own meals, right? Those type of things. It, it, it's, that term is typically implies that we're having to do things that we don't necessarily want to do. And uh, what's funny to me though is that um, what I've noticed is this new generation this new generation has, has come up with this, um, how do I say this? They begin to change the meaning of words, right? Or they, they add to the meaning of words or use it in, in, in a different way. And, and what I mean by that is, for example, 
my, my daughter, I, I, well, I was getting ready to go on a date night one night a few weeks back, and um, I, I'm already dressed. I'm downstairs. I'm waiting for my wife, Nicole, to come downstairs, and she comes downstairs while waiting on her because I do not like to be late for anything. So I'm waiting, and my beautiful daughter comes out of the kitchen in the living room, and she says, bruh. And, and see, before y'all kind of get put off by that statement, what you have to understand is in our house, the word bruh is actually a term of endearment. Like, we joke around. We're like, hey, bruh, like, yeah, bruh, can you get me something to drink? That type of thing. But she walks out of the kitchen, and she says, bruh, your fit is low-key extra. <laughs> right? And, and so here I am thinking about, yeah, this is what, it's, this is what it actually has that looks like, Right? And so, I know, and so I'm thinking at this moment, oh, thank you, loving daughter of mine. Like, thank you so much, because see, I have been trying to watch what I eat, and I do feel like I'm a little more fit, and yeah, I look extra good tonight. Thank you so much. But let me explain to you what was actually meant by the statement. Fit is obviously referring to my outfit, the clothes that I'm wearing, and and the word low-key kind of means kind of a lot, and the word extra means unnecessarily over the top, right? And so what I thought was a compliment wasn't so much of a compliment because what she was really saying was, hey, dad, you might want to go change your clothes because you're a little overdressed. And, and, but here's the thing. I know it's sad. But the reality of this is Jesus gave us a tough teaching that we learned two weeks ago about what to do when someone insults us. So parents, if you're probably thinking in your mind right now, what have my kids said to me that possibly could be a compliment or or that I thought was a compliment that possibly is an insult? Jesus told us what to do. You can go back, listen, two weeks ago, week two of our series, Your Move, tells us what to do when we feel like we've been insulted. But this word adulting, right? Many Christians, many Christians treat the hard teachings of Jesus like he's forcing us to start adulting, right? We, We don't want to do the hard things that Jesus said, but we feel like we have to. And I can understand that. I kind of can get that mindset because I don't like someone telling me what to do. Is there anyone here this morning that would say, I love for someone to tell me what to do. Just tell me what to go do and I'll do it. There's always that one person, one, one or two people. And so, yes, I would say, please go to Mocomo's or to, to Starbucks and bring me back a coffee. That'd be awesome. Don't do that. I'm just kidding because we're going to need you to play guitar here a little later. It's totally fine. Um, but the reality is this, like we, we are in this situation where everyone, if we were honest with ourselves, we will know and we understand that none of us really like being told what to do or how to do it or when to do it, right? Students, you're familiar with this. You don't like being told that you have homework that's due or that you've got chores that you need to go do right now. And adults, you don't like being told that you've got a deadline to meet at work or that you have to pay that bill by this certain date. Parents, parents of kids, listen, you don't like being told by your kid that you have a project that's due tomorrow that they haven't started yet? Because the reality is, parents, that means you have a project due tomorrow that you haven't started yet. Right? And so that's just the truth of this situation. Uh, But the reality is none of us like to be told we have to do certain things. We don't even like to be told to do things even if it's for our own good. Like not following doctor's orders or not going to the doctor when we should. For some of you know this, I've said this before, like my mom and I both suffer from an autoimmune disease called lupus. And my mom's bravely been battling lupus for 30 years. Her, her case of lupus is so much worse than mine, so she has to go see our rheumatologist every two to three weeks, whereas I only have to go two to three times a year. 
But here's the reality. I don't even like going two to three times a year. And it's not because Dr. Kimberly doesn't take such great care of her, great care of us. Like her staff is top notch. But those of you who may not know this, when you go to the doctor with any kind of like routine autoimmune disease or anything like that, they take so much blood from your body. Like I'm sitting there and I'm watching them going, can we please stop? Are we done yet? Are we done? Like five, 10 minutes, right? And so, but here's the other thing that I know. I, I'm, I'm scared of needles. And so that doesn't work very well for me. But I also know this. Here's my logic. Tell me if this logic is good for y'all. If my mom, who we go to the same doctor, she goes, has to go to the doctor every two to three weeks. I know my doctor's getting a medical update about, my, about me every two to three weeks. Because I know they're talking about me, right? But don't worry. I've made my appointment for the end of the year, even though I don't want to or want to have to do it. And listen, that's why many people reject Jesus. Because they view him as just another guy trying to tell them what to do or what not to do, right? And in one sense, they're correct. Because as followers of Jesus, he commands us to do certain things that we probably would not do on our own. And we're going to look at one of those commands today. But what we're going to discover is uh, when, when it comes to the commands of Christ, it's never about doing what we're told. When it comes to the commands of Christ, it's always about becoming who you were meant to be. And so if you're taking notes this morning, you might want to write this down. The commands of Christ are always about becoming who we were meant to be, which is becoming more like Jesus. The commands of Christ are always about becoming who we were meant to be, which is becoming more like Jesus. And so if you brought your Bible or have a Bible app this morning, I want to encourage you to go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And we're going to be camped out there for the rest of the morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible or Bible app, no worries. The, the scriptures will be on the screen. But if you don't have a Bible or, or, or anything like that, if you don't have your own copy of the Bible, what I want to encourage you to do is outside on the cafe in our lobby area, we have free copies of the Bible. Take one home with you because here's what we know. The word of God does not return void. The word of God can change your life forever for the better, especially in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, so as you get into Luke chapter 9, just kind of want to set a little context for us before we jump in this morning. And so what's happened here is, is um, Jesus has been traveling around the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and he's been going, and he's been proclaiming the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of heaven on earth is here, and he's been healing the sick. And then Jesus sends his disciples out in pairs to, to go and proclaim that the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of heaven is here on earth, and to pray for the sick to be healed. And, and listen, if Jesus commanded his disciples, his followers to do that, then he commands his followers to do that now, right? And, and so that doesn't mean that we just come here on Sunday morning in our groups and we pray for those things. Like we're, we're called and commanded by Jesus to go out into the world and to, to proclaim the gospel, not just with our lips, but more importantly, with our actions, to show people the love of Christ with our actions. We're called to do it. Okay, church? We good with that? All right, good. So when the disciples return, um, they, they kind of withdraw with Jesus, and, and I'm sure Jesus, they're kind of telling Jesus kind of what happened when they were out, uh, and then all of a sudden the crowd starts to gather, starts to swarm around Jesus. And 
And I imagine that the, the disciples, well, we know that the disciples said, hey, listen, Jesus, like it, this is kind of a remote area. It might be a good idea to send them back home to the, or send them back to the villages and cities surrounding the area so that they can find a place to stay and have food to eat because we don't have anything for them to eat. And, and, and so Jesus says, no, we got this, right? We got this. And so Jesus takes a family's fish fillet meal and he, and he takes it. And it's, by the way, it's not a large fry or a large Coke. It's literally two pieces of fish and five loaves of bread. And what he does, he takes that and he looks to the father and he blesses it and then begins to break the two fish and five loaves into little pieces. And then he gives them to the disciples. And as the disciples begin to walk around and pass out the broken pieces of two fish and five loaves, the bread begins to miraculously multiply. The fish begins to miraculously multiply until they feed over 5,000 men, wives, and children. And then they come back to Jesus. And then we spent some time, they've spent some time like satisfying the stomachs of the crowd. And so Jesus is like, hey, let's, let's spend some time and satisfy our souls. And so they break away. Listen, if, if, you, if you're here this morning and you, you feel like your soul is not satisfied, spend time with the Father. Break away. Press pause on your life. Spend some time with the Father. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 18 this morning. It says, Now it happened. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And so what Jesus is doing here is he's asking the disciples this question because they just spent all this time walking around and participating in the miracle of multiplication of fish and bread. And so they were uniquely positioned to hear exactly what people were saying about Jesus. Okay? And he goes on to say, there we go. And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And so what we see here is the disciples informed Jesus that, hey, listen, um, some people were saying you're John the Baptist, but what we really know is that John the Baptist just recently had his head cut off by King Herod. And then some people are saying that you're Elijah the prophet who passed away eight, about 800 years ago. And then some people are saying you're even, you could be a prophet from even before that. And so what we realize is that people, the people, the crowds are clearly in awe of Jesus. They think he's a good teacher. They think he's a good miracle worker and are a prophet. But what they don't say that he is, they say he's good, but what they don't say is he's the son of God. And so you may actually know some people like this, or you may actually be a person who was like this. I was. That they think Jesus is a nice guy. They think he'd be cool to kind of hang out with. Because he loved people. He taught his disciples how to love people and help people. And so they're, they're, some, they're, they're sometimes willing to do some of the things that Jesus asks of them when it's convenient for them. Right? When it's convenient for them or when it, it maybe it makes them kind of feel good. Right? And we all know that doing something good isn't doing something good until you see it posted on social media. But we'll see in a moment, it's not, it's not enough to follow Jesus when it's convenient. And so Jesus hears what the crowd is saying through his disciples, and then Jesus 
puts his disciples on the hot seat. Verse 20, he says, Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And you got to love Peter, right? Always the first, most enthusiastic, most passionate. Like, I almost feel like Peter would be the disciple that makes up words. But Peter says, you're the Christ of God. And that word, that, that Greek word for Christ there is Christos, which means anointed. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word that means Messiah. And so what Peter is saying is you, you, Jesus, are the Savior sent by God to rescue the world. And guys, this is a huge moment for them. Because they're going, from, they're going to now recognize who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. And unlike the crowds who think Jesus was just a man sent by God, they now understand that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? And so this is, the, this is what's happening. You've got these disciples, and they, they just realize that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he is the Messiah. He is the coming king. This is the person they have learned about and heard all about since they were little boys in synagogue. And so he, he, the, the Savior of the world is walking with them, is talking with them. Their minds must have been racing, racing because now they're part. The conquering king has come to overthrow the Romans. And he's going to set up a new kingdom, much like the kingdom of David a thousand years ago. And so just about the time that they're starting to visualize themselves playing out in this victorious moment, Jesus comes along and says, and pops their bubble. Verse 21. And he, being Jesus, he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Say what? Like, We've been waiting for you our entire life. We've been waiting for you. And now you're telling us that we can't tell people that you're the son of God, that you're the savior of the world, that you're the Messiah, you're the Christ of God. Guys, the only thing I can compare this to is it would be like me giving you the winning numbers to next weekend's Mega Millions jackpot lottery. Please, y'all, revival. (laughs) But then forbidding you to buy a ticket. But at least in this moment, the disciples were thinking, okay, at least we'll get to see this play out. At least we'll get to be a part of the kingdom revolution, right? Wrong. What does Jesus say? He says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus is explaining to them that, listen, I'm not the military leader that's come to overthrow the Romans. I'm actually going to be the suffering servant who's going to be rejected and killed by the Romans. And guys, This next moment is so key and it's so pivotal because in verse 23, Jesus tells his disciples that it's time for them to start adulting. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. 
He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so I try to put myself into the the place of the disciples and what they're going through in this moment. So wait a second. We're not going to overthrow the people that have kept us pressed underneath their thumbs? As a matter of fact, like the Son of God is here, the Messiah is here, the Christ of God is here, but he's about to be killed. And he tells, he's telling me that if, if, if I want to continue to be his disciple, that now I have to deny myself, take up my cross daily, and follow him? Guys, this is the ultimate Jesus said it, will you do it moment for the disciples. And if you're a follower of Christ here, and Christ is in you and you're in Christ, this should be a decisive Jesus said it, will you do it moment for us. And that's why we're going to look at a few things that Jesus commands us to do in verse 23 this morning. And the first is this, to deny yourself. Deny yourself. And that's everybody's favorite thing to do, right? Deny yourself, right? Obviously, Jesus wasn't American because uh, we tend to embrace the idea of treat yourself, right? I mean, we take pictures about it. We, we post filters, post pictures with a filter of treat yourself, got this new car, treat yourself. I got this Starbucks, treat yourself. Listen to this. Last year, over $220 billion was spent on advertising. And not one of those dollars said, deny yourself. They all said, treat yourself. See, here's the thing. Advertisers want you to believe that the secret to living your best life is doing what you want when you want. It's for you to stay comfortable and what is comfortable for you. And listen, I truly believe this, that one of the greatest dangers to followers of Jesus is comfort zones. Here's why. Comfort zones keep you from ever living a life of the need of the great comforter. Comfort zones keep you from ever living the life of the need for the Holy Spirit of God. And when we stay in our comfort zones, we're choosing uh, to live a life that we believe we are in control of. And let's be clear, we are not in control of life. Now, we're in control of some of the choices in our life, which is why Jesus says, in order for you to know the best li- your best life, it's found in doing what Jesus wants when he wants. Right? And it may not be the most comfortable place for us to be. Oh, man, but it always draws us closer to him. It always draws us closer to him. The second command that he gives us is to take up your cross daily. To take up your cross daily. Listen, for us to fully grasp what this means, we need to understand that that the cross means something completely different today than it did back in Jesus' day. Today we celebrate the cross, right? We put it on top of buildings at churches. We put it on backdrops to stages. We put it around our necks. We put it on our clothes. We put it on our skin because it means new life for us. But back in Jesus' day, it meant something completely different. It meant death. It was a symbol of death. And not just death, but the most painful, agonizing, and shameful death. And so we often think that Jesus is saying that we should be prepared to suffer for him. But what he's actually saying is, no, not only should you be prepared to suffer, but you need to die to yourself. And that means, that means our lives are no longer about what we want. 
They're about what he wants. And if you're not sure what he wants this morning, we can definitely see that in his next command, which is to follow him. Follow him. That means going where he calls you to go, doing what he calls you to do. And listen, you cannot follow Jesus halfway. You cannot follow Jesus halfway. You can't pick and choose when it's convenient for you to follow Jesus. And you can't follow Jesus once you've hit a dead end. Like, hear what I'm saying. You can follow Jesus anytime you want to. As a matter of fact, it's never too late to follow Jesus. But what Jesus wants is Jesus wants you to follow him all the time. Why? Because there's no better place to be than right behind Jesus. No better place to be than right behind Jesus. But many of us go through life acting like Jesus should be right behind us. For example, if you're like me, you've, you've made up these plans for your life or you make up these plans for your life and then you turn to Jesus and you say, hey, will you bless it? Or if you're like me and I'll just confess this to you, listen, sometimes I don't even ask. Sometimes as if I can command the Christ of God what to do. Here's my plan, bless it. Or, or, or maybe, you're, maybe you've, been, you've had this before. You go through everyday life and act as if everything is, is fine and you're in control of everything until that major crisis hits and then you turn around and you go, how did you let this happen to me? How many of you have ever played follow the leader? Raise your hand. What's the win to that game? What's the goal to that game? It's to do what the leader says to do, to say what he says to say. It's to go where he says to go, and it's to do what he says to do. Same is true for following Jesus. It has to be. You know what happens? Do you know what happens when you start walking ahead of Jesus? You never see him stop. You never see him stop. And typically when Jesus, not typically, always when Jesus stops is because what you're about to walk into is not what's best for you. And and listen, if you're in this room this morning, God has a promise for your life. And, And he has a purpose for your life. But quick question in his process. Like, he is faithful to fulfill his promise that he's given you, right? But you have to trust and be obedient to whatever that process looks like. And it may not look like it looked like before, even though it was a similar situation. Here's a question I want you to ask yourself. And I'm going to say it two or three times because I want you to take it in. So that means maybe you might need to write this down, okay? Is it more important for the process to get you to God's promise? Is it more important for the process to get you to God's promise to be your process? Or is it more important just to get to God's promise? I'll say it again. Is it more important for the process to get you to God's promise 
be your process? Or is it more important just to get to God's promise? If the band would make their way up. See, the thing that I've realized in my life and my experiences with God is that God's path may be different, but God's process to get you to his promise over your life, it's always the same. His path, the path may be different, but the process is always the same. Ask, listen, and obey. Ask him, listen to what he says, and obey. You know how I know this process? This is the process. This is God's process because Jesus did it. Follow him, right? Jesus would get alone with the Father. He'd ask the Father. Then he would listen to what the Father said, and then he would do what the Father said to do, knowing that the Father is always faithful to fulfill his promises. And listen, so to follow him, just be obedient to what he's saying to do. Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow him. In order to follow him, you just ask, you listen, and you obey. You ask, you listen, you obey. You ask, you listen, and you obey. See, one of the things, that our, our biggest prayer for this series, Your Move, is that you would understand that it's really your move. Like, the teachings of Christ are hard. They're always good. They're always good. Listen, he's calling us to let go of everything else and follow him. And listen, you know this is true. In order to follow someone, you have to trust them. In order to follow someone, you have to trust them. Guys, I'm telling you, he is so worth trusting. I wish, I wish that I could sit down with every one of you and tell you my story. But there's not enough time for that. But here's what I can promise you. Had I gone my plan and I had gone my path, I would be dead. And not just, I'm not talking about just metaphorically, spiritually dead. I'm talking about physically dead and I am so thankful that he wants to lead me I am so thankful that I made the decision to trust him and follow him and listen I don't get it right all the time but I try to ask listen and obey stir up passion in my heart God let it overflow, let it overflow. Sir, passion in my heart, God. Let it overflow, let it overflow. Breathe on me, Holy One. Come reveal. Your wonder now Open wide My eyes can see 
Yeah. 